Hope is the thing with feathers. Hope is the thing with feathers. That's like a bird. Like a bird. That perches in the soul. That perches in the soul. Welcome to the Thing with Feathers podcast, a podcast about birds and hope. I'm your host, birding enthusiast, Courtney Ellis. Welcome back to the Thing with Feathers podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Ellis. So delighted to have with us today the author of 20 plus books for both children and adults, including Saints of Feather and Fang, How the Animals We Love and Fear Connect Us to God. Karen Ravandanera lives in the Chicago suburbs with some pit bulls and some kids and her husband. Welcome, Karen. Thank you. Yes. Nice. Well, it's terrific to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so, so much for being here. I have a I have a Chicago soul. I, I did school in Chicago. And so anytime I can talk to a guest in the Midwest, it just it just fills me up. How are things in Chicago these days? Uh, they're wonderful. You know, I'm here in the suburbs. I try to be careful about that because my friends who are in the city, my husband grew up in the city and, you know, people are very sensitive. Like you're not in Chicago. But again, you know, I'm 10 miles or so east, and so it's just easier for people to place that, you know, but um, things are lovely as ever here. Um, Midwest fall is is a good thing, you know? It's the <laughs> we, best. We try to enjoy it before winter comes. Is the prairie path still there? Can you still go walk on the prairie path? I walk on the prairie path every single day. So yes. Every single yes. day? Oh, well. Most days, yes. I'm a little jealous terrible. of you. I won't be jealous in January, but I'm a little jealous of you in your Midwestern fall because we just get fire season. It just gets hot, and then the that Santa Ana winds come. It's not. It's not great. It's not my favorite. <laughs> and all the stores turn over their merchandise, so it's 110 degrees, but you can't buy a bathing suit, but you can buy a pumpkin spice latte. And I'm like, who is drinking okay, this right fine. now? But yeah, but California weather is quite lovely. So yes, enjoy I can't. It, but, I only complain two months of the right, year. But I will hold I, on to fire season when the days are bad here. <laughs> I'm going to claim that. Yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. So you have shared with me that you are a bird of prey girl. Tell yes. me about this. Tell me about your love for the taloned and and sharp beaked things. Oh my gosh, I just think that they are magnificent. Um, I think especially because they're probably one of the wilder animals we have around, you know, in my neck of the woods here. Um, we have coyotes, we have foxes and stuff, but there's something about the might of these birds of prey. You know, we have red-tailed hawks, um, which are enormous things. We have falcons, uh, we have crows, which I don't know if that's technically a bird of prey, but I think they are. Um, and you just see them. And as much as I love all animals and you feel sort of sad when you see them swooping in to get something and you're like, oh, poor bunny, poor, and never say poor mouse because the more, the more mice that these hawks catch are the fewer that sneak their way into my house. So, but you know, as much as that can be sad, like to see these animals that can be soaring so high and just swoop in and snatch something. And it's just, I don't know. It's it's just amazing. And to be able to like witness that from my own backyard makes me feel like I'm living in Wild Kingdom or something that, you know, that old show. But um, yeah, and, and for me, they've also become sort of a, you know, not to get too weird about it, but sort of like a sign of the presence of God, because it's that thing that something can be so far away, so out, but all of a sudden, whoop, swoop in, get it. Um, not that God is coming in to kill bunnies. I don't mean to say that, but just this like, 
you know, something can seem so far away and suddenly it's so present and real. I'm like, oh, wow, look at this is happening. Um, and I just, I love them. And you write about this some in your book. Uh I enjoyed your book so much, Saints of Feather and Fang. We'll link to it in the show notes and we'll talk at the end of the show about how people can find you and this book. But you write in this book, right in the very first chapter, you unpack Deuteronomy 32 and its description of God's protection and provision. And you write that God loves as mommy eagles love. And this was a paradigm shift for me because I think we think of, okay, the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove and that's so gentle and beautiful and lovely. But you find God in these sometimes terrifying, always strong birds of prey. Tell us more about that. Yeah. I mean, it does sound so weird, I guess, but I agree. I love, and it's not that I believe that God is you know, ferocious or fierce in that negative way, but in that love sort of way that I think as mothers we tap into, you know, that we understand all of a sudden like, oh, wow, like this love is something else, you know? And so the idea of that God of, you know, that sort of fierce provider and protector and um, again, the idea that can seem so distant and and sometimes you hardly even know and can hardly even believe and then all of a sudden to be so present. Um, in that way. And so, yeah, I think that that's, I don't know, the, that eagle imagery is really powerful to me. And I think sometimes we do just think of it as like a peaceful thing, which is great because Holy Spirit certainly brings peace. Um, there's no question about that, you know, but sometimes soaring, you know, the, the soaring images we get is kind of like, oh, it's just sort of passive. But I don't know, to me, it's it's just a reminder, I think, in a lot of the animal kingdom too, is that this is an active God who set creation and emotion and, and that God is active in the world as well. And I know for me in my own life, when I really am afraid or when I'm feeling lost or when that anxiety starts to rise, I don't want a nice pat on the head. I don't want someone to tuck me in bed. I want that strength of like, here, come under my wing. I've got you. Um, there's there's real comfort in that, I think, in that in that strength, in those powerful wings, not just soft wings. I think so too, because sometimes, yeah, certainly sometimes we just need that, um, you know, again, Jesus's mother hen, you know, that just comforting, yes, sometimes we just need to hunker down, nestle and whatever. But there is something about knowing that God is mightier, that God is stronger. I mean, certainly I've had times in my life where we all have, we know there is not one thing we can do in that moment to change it that we are utterly dependent on the goodness and mercy and and ultimately might of our good God. And so I think that's where that can be a really powerful image. You know, it, and it's, I guess I'm finding it interesting that I do tap into that because in a lot of the imagery in the Bible, you know, the the warrior God and stuff, you know, I, I tend to recoil from some of that because we think like, oh, I don't know. Um, and yet in these animals, you see that because I think it's more tied to provision of that mama eagle who is, um, you know, willing to swoop in and defend and provide. And I think that's a really important thing to tap into for, for our understanding of God. It fills out the picture in a way that yeah. the kind of gentle Jesus, meek and mild misses a little bit of that, that important strength and courage and stability. Yeah. And I think just especially because when we don't feel it, when we don't have it, um, and to just know, um, yeah, that, that God is strong and God is mighty and present and active. 
So this book has birds in it. It has yeah. other animals <laughs> as well. One of my favorite subtitles was The Lord is My Sheepdog. There's yes. something there. Um, but where did the idea for this book come from? This idea to walk through the story of different animals, your own experience with animals. I know you and your, your family raise rescue pit bulls, uh-huh. um, but also this idea of who God is and how we can know God and the animals we love, but also the animals we fear. You don't shy away from some of the more right. grisly elements. Yeah. Where did this book come from? So this was um, one of the few times in my life where I've had the privilege of actually an editor coming to me and saying, hey, we've been thinking, is there a book out there about animals or something you know, that maybe you could do? And whenever anybody comes to me with an idea, like, do you think there's anything? Like, I love ideas. And I'm like, yes, I'll run with that. Um, and so I just, it, it started with that, with an email, um, actually. And I went back to immediately one of my favorite books when I was a kid, bought it in our church bookstore. You know, this would have been probably 1980. Um, and it was a devotional about animals. Mm. And I loved this thing as a kid. And I went back and I found it. And of course, you know, it's not quite as good as I remember it, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, but I just remember being so young and really loving this idea of like, we can learn about God from animals. And so that just sort of started that idea of, you know, I can go back going through the scriptures, looking at animals in my own life, the things that they have taught me about God. And that's kind of where it came from. Um, Mm. As far as kind of the topics, I think it just, it began more with the stories and the animals that are in scripture and then just my own personal experiences. And then it sort of falls out from there. Um, once upon a time, you had mentioned, you know, that we have rescue pit bulls. Once upon a time, I had an idea in my head about writing what pit bulls teach us about God. And that kind of just, I, mean, I probably could still write that, but that idea sort of faltered, but that was also part of it. And I think that's where there's one of the chapters that's on, on pit bulls and on vices and virtues and the idea of being vicious, you know, is, is full of vice. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, that's sort of where it came from. So if you write enough books and you write them well enough, eventually the editors come looking for you. Sometimes, yes. That's awesome. I mean, I, I don't know that that has. I don't know that that will ever happen again. But it sometimes does happen. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, if you're fortunate enough, I guess, to be that person, you know. And this is the thing, like they were thinking in a room about like animals. And so they're like, oh, wait, who's that lady who writes about her pimples all the time? <laughs> you know, and so that's, uh, I think, where it comes from. But yeah, I guess. It's it, good to it, be known for something. You know, I'm the I crazy bird so. lady. You're the, you're the pit well, bull lady. Well, and there you go. And I promise <laughs> that at some point, yeah, somebody will be like, we need a bird book. Let's get Courtney. Who's that? Yeah. She's like Ms. Frizzle, but weirder. Yeah, right. Yeah. No. Good. <laughs> Well, it's this is a little side note, but anyone who's looking for great young adult literature, we our oldest is 11, and we're always looking for good young adult literature that's appropriate, but still adventurous enough, which is kind of a, it's a, it's a very center path that we try to walk. Um, Karen has wonderful, wonderful young adult literature. She, it covers everything from monsters to, to history to animals. It's, there's really good stuff. We'll link to that as well. Um, what was your favorite chapter in this book? Was it the Pitbull chapter? Oh, no. You know what? Actually, I was flipping back through the book this morning um, before this. I, I've loved so many of them. Um, I loved especially the stuff that I wrote. And I'm looking at the the chapter that I wrote about um, Ireland in Sweden, which is the island um, where my grandmother came from and our hmm. trip there. And writing about sort of, it's the creative abundance chapters. I don't know if this is my favorite, but it just, 
struck me this idea of that in creation, this is, I guess, the opposite of birds, but, you know, we have these depths and these oceans and just the, yeah, the idea of in creation, there is so much abundance. And I loved writing about that, I think, in particular, because um, it felt my grandmother's been dead for a very long time. We were able to visit the place that she grew up. She loved animals very much. And so it felt like this beautiful connection moment. And I think that's one of my thing, favorite things about being a writer is that we're able to, you know, we joke about like, oh, it's all copy. Um, but at the end of the day, it kind of is. And, and I love that we can kind of make these connections. So I loved writing about that. Um, but yeah, I always love writing about pit bulls. So. <laughs> <laughs> it shows. <laughs> that probably was fun just because I was able to use some of the stuff um, that I had jotted down once upon a time, you know, for the other book idea that I just never really developed. But I don't know. This was a really, really fun book to write. I mean, I I hope that you do get to write about birds at some point because I think that it does, you know, when we get to write about things that we love, you know, these are, I believe, loves that God has put in our heart. You know, God created me to love animals and created you with the love of birds. Um, I think there's just such joy that happens in that process and the things that we learn about ourselves and about humanity and animals and God, it's just, it's just super fun. My bird book comes out in April. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Again. You can't, you can't shut it down. You, you know, it's it just, yep. I was telling my agent, like, I have to write this book, like sell it or don't, I have to write this birding book. Good. And he's like, okay, good. well then we'll try to sell it. Like if you have to do it, yes. we'll and sure enough, someone, someone Perfect. wanted it. So Yay. we're good. Um, but your love, your love for animals, really, it just shines in this book. It made me love certain animals more that I'd kind of felt indifferent to before. Now I don't know any, I didn't know anything about pit bulls really. A couple of our friends have them, but it was such a wonderful exploration of the the beautiful side and also kind of the shadow side of some of these mm-hmm. animals. And like all of us, there is no just perfect person outside of the one who was. So I, I really appreciated that you kind of took us through that, that ebb and flow. And one of the topics you explored in the book that I found so interesting was this idea that Christians can really struggle to love the natural world fully, to kind of feel like I can see myself in this, I can find God in this. And this podcast, about half of my guests are people of faith, whether that's Christian or Jewish, or Mm -hmm. we just had our first LDS guest. Um, And half of them are scientists who say, you know, science is my church. Please don't ask me about faith. And and that's fine. That's great. But I find that those, those folks in the science world who don't have a foot in the faith world are so much more comfortable just straight loving the birds or loving the environment they're studying. And Christians have this like, well, but not too much because maybe that threatens my faith or Jesus first, or this can't become an idol. And you kind of explore that idea that we can give ourselves fully to this love and it's not a threat. It's not a trap. Um, Tell me a little bit more about that. How can Christians love the natural world and how can that not be a stumbling block, but perhaps a way to take us even deeper into that relationship with God? That's a great question. I think I was fortunate to grow up in a faith community that, um, because I've I've been learning about this more recently, of people who grew up kind of in this um, strand of evangelicalism or something that really was like, we don't have to care about creation or the world because it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. So who cares, right? It's all temporary and whatever. And I, I thankfully, I I didn't ever really get that message, I don't think, unless I was just not paying attention, you know. Um, but I don't think that I grew up with that. So 
for me, there's never really been a huge dichotomy. Like I haven't felt that. That said, what I do run into is people, you know, when I start talking about, you know, seeing God in this or that, you know, there's the difference. And I always get these confused between pantheism and panentheism, um, you know, that God is everything and God is in everything. But even that stuff, that makes v- people very uncomfortable, you know, to start saying like, oh, I just see God in that tree, you know, kind of, or whatever. People can get very nervous. And no, it's not that I believe God is the red-tailed hawk. I don't believe that. But just like we see, and, and I'm not also saying that I think that we see the image of God necessarily in animals in the way we do in humans. So I'm not saying that. But I do think, you know, that you, what I did grow up with in my faith tradition was the idea of, you know, general revelation, that we can experience God out in creation and that God does reveal God's self through creation. And I think that that's all part of it. So if we learn to really love and appreciate the creatures around us, even the ones that we fear, and there's plenty of animals that I am, I write extensively about my fear of snakes. (laughs) I am with you. And even now, you know, I'm recording this down in my basement office and my feet are like under a thing and I'm like always getting a little nervous. I've never had a snake in my basement, but somewhere in my head, I'm like, what if there were a snake? Like, I don't know. It's a really deep fear that I still work on. Um, But if I can learn to appreciate and love and um, enjoy creation and the creatures, I think we, we can learn so much more about God. So I honestly feel sort of sorry, not sort of sorry, I do feel sorry for people who don't have that joy. I get it that some people just don't get animals or they don't go nuts over animals the way some people do. Um, And we all have like our preferred animals or whatever. Um, But just the idea that some people are like, eh, no, who cares? It's all about either people or it's all about, you know, the the afterlife or something like that. It's like, wow, we are missing so much um, because I don't think that the created world, animals in particular, you know, are here just because like, oh, we need something to fill the planet. And God was like, let's just throw some tigers or whatnot. You know, like I think that they give God joy. And so it's good for us to enjoy it as well. And you pull out so many of the stories and and verses about animals in scripture, and you write that the Bible starts with animals and it ends with uh-huh. animals. And so clearly animals are important to God. And I so appreciated kind of that gentle exposition of these different places. We find them in Job, we find them in Genesis, we find mm-hmm. them in Revelation. Like clearly they're important to God and take of that what you will, you know, we have to have something between it's all going to burn and we're bowing down to the tigers, right? Like there needs to be right, some sort right, of... Right. And you yeah. write in your introduction that part of your journey into this book was when someone told you like, oh, it'll be so great to see Jesus in heaven. We won't even miss your dogs. And I it was know. Like, Record scratch. I know. Wait a second. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And those are the moments that make me feel bad. But I've had people say, you know, obviously that would be true about loved ones. Obviously, it'll be wonderful to see Jesus in person. Um, but yeah, the idea of like, oh, but won't my dogs be running toward me too? You know, I'm very deep into that, you know, that whatever, the rainbow bridge, I guess, that people call it in the dog community, these images of, you know, your dog waiting for you in heaven. But I think it was, um, I know it was you know, Randy Elkhorn, who talked about that. And he's he's a more conservative guy. But I, I have a theory about theologians and pastors and whether they believe dogs go to, you know, quote unquote, heaven or not. It really is about 
are they dog, are they animal people or not? You know, the dog lovers, the cat lovers, the animal lovers are like, of course they'll be there. The ones who don't really care are like, eh, I don't think so. So I don't really, I don't know if there's proof on either side except our love. However, in uh, his book, Heaven, he's talking about new heaven and new earth. And Randy Elkhorn just comes down to this idea that, you know what, that's just part of the goodness of God. Why would it be, be beyond the goodness of God to restore our animals that were so loved and meant so much to us and that, you know, and loved us so much? And I think that's just such a beautiful thought. So yes, as much as Jesus is the height, that is the the wonderful thing about, you know, entering a new a new life. But man, I think it's really exciting to think of reuniting <laughs> with our pets too. <laughs> And the new heaven and the new earth, right? The new earth does need to be filled with creation. It's not going to just yes. be a blank slab with us and Jesus and the angels and our dead loved ones, right? It needs the lion lays down with the lamb. That means at the very least. Yeah. I mean, there are pictures of that. And yeah, I mean, and for me, this is like a, you know, kind of an old family tradition too. I always remember my grandma when I was very young saying, well, if dogs aren't in heaven, I don't want to be there either. <laughs> and I don't even remember her loving dogs that much. <laughs> That's the thing. So I was like, okay. But you know, when your grandma says that and she was a fine Christian woman, you think, well, okay. So... Priorities. I know. So anyway, I hope dogs are there. Otherwise, my grandma's in trouble. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, there are no dogs. Oh, exactly. No, oh, no. Exactly. Oh, no. <laughs> so you oh, talk dear. about birds of prey and you also mm -hmm. talk about crows, which like they kind of do straddle that line between yeah. the songbird and the bird of prey, you know, and, and they're kind of corvids are kind of their own thing. Um, but you love crows. Uh -huh. <laughs> Tell me about your love of crows. Where does that come from? What's amazing? What's so amazing about crows? What's so amazing about crows? Um, well, one is that I'm kind of a spooky lover. You know, oops, sorry. I, I love this time of, you know, year. I love spooky season. I always have. So for me, part of it is that crows just play into that. I have a picture of a crow up there above my desk. Um, you know, part of it is just that, that I've always, I love black things and they're so sleek and beautiful. Um, and I have since I was a kid. But a bigger part um, was just, and I write about this in the book, that it probably, I think I was in high school or college, so I should have probably looked this up. Um, so this would have been late 80s, early 90s for me. Um, in my area, the West Nile virus hit with a vengeance and nearly eradicated all the crows that we had in the Midwest. And it used to be so that like in my fr in the front yard of the house I grew up in, um, there was a huge, couple of huge trees, but huge maple tree. And I can just remember the, the crows kind of hanging out around there and they would be actually kind of, um, you know, annoying to put it nicely, but it would be a little scary. Sometimes you'd walk under the tree and it'd be like, you know, you hear all this noise, the cawing. Um, and then it seemed like nearly suddenly they were just gone. There were no crows. And it was because West Nile virus had just taken them out. And it remained this way um, for decades. Like they were just gone. And it just hit me at some point, I'm going to say maybe like 10 years ago or maybe longer when my kids were littler, the idea of like, wow, this neighborhood, and I still live in the same area where I grew up, you know, it used to be filled with these creatures. And now because of... Um, disease or illness, and again, I don't know, even know what the cause of West Nile is, they're gone. And so it hit me just this fragility of creation, I think, even though we know in our heads that creation is fragile, we know about endangered and extinct animals, we get all that. But when you just sort of see it in your own community, like 
wow, they were so present. They were so there. And now they're just gone. Um, it really hit me. Um, however, a few years ago, started hearing some more like noise in the trees and it was the caw, the caw, you know, and all of a sudden now the crows are back, not in the same numbers probably that they once were, but you can now be walking along that prairie path, you know, we were mentioning, um, you know, and, and hearing them and seeing them and they're up swarming in the sky and they're calling to their neighbors and, and my neighbor's, you know, pine tree. And it, to me, that's like speaks of redemption as well and the restoration of God. And obviously this does not happen for all things or all creatures, but it's this idea too, again, that, you know, we mentioned before of that God's hand in creation, that there's so much fragility there is death. Things do get um, wiped out. You know, fires happen, all these things. But ultimately, God is a, a restorer. God is a, a God of restoration and redemption. And that's sort of what they've come to mean to me even more beyond just, ooh, they're cool and black and spooky. <laughs> and, you mm. know, that they, have, that they have come back, you know, in this, in this beautiful, powerful way. That this cool, black, spooky thing can be a sign of redemption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is kind of, you know, which is weird, but I don't know, maybe it's very like Ash Wednesday or something like that, you know, totally. just, you know, but yeah, this kind of creepy creature that, you know, I know they, whatever, do bad things to baby lambs or what, you know, people are always quick to tell me how mean the crows can be and stuff. And I get that, but they're just, yeah, for me, it's, it's a redemption story, which is cool. I always see crows as the, it's the class clown that's always in trouble, but it's because oh, yeah. they're the smartest kid in the class and True. they're bored. Like, True. are they mean or are they just like, oh, this is interesting. Right. <laughs> I, know. I think maybe that's it. Right. They're super smart. I did though just read and I was kind of disappointed that the whole thing of like them bringing the little trinkets to people is probably a myth. Like, I don't hmm. think there is any fact that I did always like that idea too, that like people would be like, oh, I found this silver coin and the crow had left it. But and the crow is like, this is not edible. I'm yeah, dropping it. exactly. <laughs> I think that's probably what it is. Exactly. That's a pop top. I don't need that. Yeah. Not a present. Just not a trash. present. Totally. <laughs> but again, it's how we see it and interpret. So, yeah, the Ash Wednesday bird. I love it. And you tie crows into this idea of liminal space, these in between uh -huh. places, these uncertainties in our life, these periods of transition that are always painful and tricky and misty and murky. And the end of that chapter had me in tears because you tell the story of the the vet coming to your house and yeah. saying goodbye to your dog. Um, tell us that story. Yeah. So that was, oh gosh, it's now, I guess, over three years since um, she died. Um, it was, and we've had to put other dogs to sleep when we've walked through, you know, the death, sudden or, or otherwise, of plenty of animals. But her passing was especially difficult for several reasons. I think one, because like the summer before she had kind of overcome this big illness and we're like, she's going to live. And, and also it was just in the, it would have, this would have been 2020. So it was like COVID and my oldest was heading off to school. So already this very emotional time. But what was amazing about this story, first of all, this, the vet who came to our house was, um, had this really lovely like ceremony, sort of lighting candles. It sounded like it was creepy, but it was actually really beautiful and a really like pastoral, I think, service that she provided for us. But this dog had gone deaf probably two years or something before her passing. And I remember when she first went deaf and I was like so sad about it. And I was like, oh, this is awful. She just can't hear anymore. And then like I had this weird thought of like, oh, and here we'll, we'll get back to the heaven thing. 
the next voice she'll hear will be Jesus calling her home. That sort of thought entered my mind, right? Again, these are the weird things that animal lovers think. I'm not saying this is like gospel truth. <laughs> I don't know that there's any, you know, scripture that can back me up. It was it was just the sort of impression and sort of comforting voice hmm. of God that I had heard. And I loved that idea so much. And I hadn't though, like at the time, it just, it was really comforting to me, but I hadn't really thought about it until I was standing on the back porch with her for her last time. And I was just weeping. My rest of my family was inside. The veterinarian was in there setting up everything, lighting the candles, doing all that stuff. And I had taken her out just to kind of get one last sniff. And I am absolutely sobbing on the back porch because as much as I knew it was the right thing to do, the poor thing was not able to go to the bathroom anymore, which is horrific when you think about that. Um, I knew it was the right thing 100%, but you just still feel terrible. Um, and knowing that when I brought her inside, you know, this was her last time outside. And when I brought her in, that was going to be, you know, moments before the end. But while I was out there, I had that sense again of like, she's going to be able to hear Jesus calling her home. And again, listeners, I know it's, <laughs> it's probably heresy, but I actually do believe that. And it's just these weird moments I think that we have. And again, that comes from loving animals and um, being open to these liminal spaces because I think it allows us to see it as, yeah, this is a super, super sad thing, but it's also going to be this moment where I'm with my dog, just like, you know, if you're with a human, of course, who is passing from one life to the next. Um, but it gets to be this moment where we get to encounter just the goodness of God, what I believe is the great mercy of God, that God actually does say, yes, this, I love this dog too. And I'm mm. going to welcome this dog home. So for me, that became this lovely liminal space of, um, you know, life is really hard, sad things happen, but, but God is still good. And, you know, I, I believe life goes on even for mm. our animals. I was recently reading Scott Cairns, who's a writer. He's Greek oh, yeah. Orthodox, I believe. His book, The End of Suffering, that starts off with him digging a grave for two of his dogs oh. and just saying, you know, people are going to be mad that I'm starting this book on suffering, talking about the death of two two dogs. But maybe that's exactly the spot to start. He's yeah. like, two, two very good dogs. Right. And that this is not nothing. And, you know, I'm a pastor. I serve a church yeah. here. And, and we'll have folks come in on Sunday and they're in tears and they're like, I don't know why I'm so sad. You know, my, my dog died, but it's just a dog. And we always say, don't, don't, you don't have to right. say that, you know, they're, they're part of the family. Like the animals are precious to us, whether it's your, your parakeet or your cat or your guinea pig or your dog, like they become part of, part of things. And we're here for that too. Like that's not. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I think that, and I have to be careful because I mean, we have had a number of pets. Um, my kids, you know, I've had hamsters and guinea pigs and while I love them in general, I, you know, when they passed, I was like, mm, that's. Okay. I guess I don't have to clean out that cage anymore. And I felt terrible <laughs> because, again, the same thing. But for my kids, it was traumatic and sad because they loved them in a different way. So the same thing, like, I think we need to understand that. Yeah, I am going to get way more wrapped up in the loss of a dog. Um, and, and I think that is important. That's a good note because it is, you know, sometimes people can be a little bit like, oh, well, get over it. But yeah, if you're sad about it, God wants to hear about it. If you're yeah, angry exactly. about it, God wants to hear about it. If you're exactly. happy about it, you know, when we decide like what's worthy of bringing to the Lord and what's worthy of our yep. prayers, then yep. we're, you know, it's like, it's like when you start a writing project, it's like, just keep writing. Like it can exactly. be garbage, but exactly. you can make the garbage better. Like just get it out. Exactly. That's, 
My husband, yeah. um, his, when he writes, it's every word perfect and he'll oh, agonize yeah. for an hour. And I'm like, that is not my, that is not what I do. I do a big mess and then we fix it. And then go back and fix it. Yeah. I always say like the magic is in the rewriting, right? You know, I mean, that's, yeah. Cause it's just would be agonizing, but yeah, I mean, just really quick back to the the dead animal thing, but what is because <laughs> all of a sudden I was thinking back to a time at a woman at my church, my former church. Um, she was talking to me about how surprised she was, how grieved she was with the loss of a dog, because it was sort of the opposite of me that where she she never wanted the dog, her kids wanted it, she relented, and as a rule, my theory is if if the parents don't want the dog, I actually don't know that there should be a dog because. The parents are the ones <laughs> caring for it. But needless to say, she was like, I never even really thought I loved it. You know, I cared for it. But she was like a mess, you know, with the loss. And so that was even really sweet, too, that even the impact that they can have on us, even if we th- feel like, eh, take it or leave it, you know. But it was just, you know, she yeah. realized after all, this this animal had been her companion and with her and blah, blah, blah. So anyway. They teach us about they how do. to love and, and how to be loved and, and you know, what else loves you unconditionally when you walk in the door? Absolutely. You know? <laughs> I walk in the door and my husband Daryl's like, did you remember the orange juice? I'm like, ah, uh, <laughs> but the animals yeah. are just happy. Exactly. We are, we are animal free house right now. We had a goldfish lived for one day. The kids mourned it for three months. So we're currently, we're in, we're in a liminal space when it comes to pets. Okay. So yeah, <laughs> that's, and that is hard. Yeah. We, um, we've, we've lost many fish and I don't, I don't know that they've been grieved. We had, I shouldn't say that, we had one, a catfish named um, Raphael, which is also my husband's <laughs> name because it was a Raphael catfish. Um, but it lived for so long and got so fat. And I was so mean because I used to say like, oh, he's starting to look delicious because he was like so fat and big. And obviously I was kidding, but he was the only one I think we really felt sad for. But yeah. Yeah. It's, if you can't pet it, it's a little harder to get it's attached. It's a little harder, I think. but yeah. There's, yeah, there's something, yeah. There's something to that. Mm-hmm. So the the world is burning and yes. things are bad and animals are going extinct and your dogs, despite your great love for them, eventually cross the rainbow bridge. Yes. You like to wear black. Halloween is your favorite season. <laughs> Where are you finding hope? Where is the spark of, of hope amidst all of the... You, you seem to be a writer who's very comfortable with some of the darker sides of life, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean yay evil. It just means I'm okay sitting in Ash Wednesday uh-huh. for more than 12 hours. Um, where are you finding hope? Where does the light come from? Oh, that is a great question. To me, it comes in those dark places. And I think that's why I love spooky season. And I love that. I love to be scared. I love scary movies because I think it's that you get scared and there's darkness and you are okay. Like it's okay. You know, like you get through, uh, you know, whether it's the joke about why, you know, not joke, but you know, why women listen to true crime podcasts and stuff. And the answer usually is because there's often justice because there is an answer because, you know, it's why I love to read mysteries too, because they are solved. So in this world where, yeah, so much is never, we never get answers. Things are not solved. Um, I think actually we can't find hope in those places because we get through it. We get mm-hmm. through it. And so, um, yeah, for me, Ash Wednesday, you know, or, or now we're way jumping way ahead. But <laughs> I think why I love that is because the idea of it's making the sign of a cross out of dust, out of ash, out of burnt up, dried palm leaves that have been like the absolute end of their existence. And what what do we do? Make the sign of the cross, which was the ultimate sign of redemption and resurrection and restoration. And so I think that's kind of what the darkness can tell us that, yeah, sometimes we're going to be in that for a while. 
um, and we're going to be scared and we're going to maybe feel alone or confused and lost. Um, but at the end of the day, I believe that there is, especially if we kind of learn to look, you know, back to the liminal spaces, learn to open our senses, all of them, um, to notice, to feel, to taste, smell, see God with us, um, whether it's, you know, in that crow that's all of a sudden flying in the dusky sky at night, you know, that you go, oh yeah, that's right. There's beautiful goodness, you know, even in this darkness. Um, so for me, that's it. But, um, which is not to say that I don't love sunshine because <laughs> I do, <laughs> I do in too many days, <clears throat> you know, in the, even if it's just dark weather, you know, start getting you gloomy. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that's, for me, the darkness can be just a really great, also a reminder in these seasons too, of just, like I said before, to look for God, you know, to, mm -hmm. to really be active about it. And, but, you know, hope for me is, uh, you know, sometimes an immediate thing that it's, it's right there, but it's also just that long-term belief in a God who ultimately, you know, is going to restore things and redeem situations that we thought were lost. Mm sounds like through the darkness, you found a deeper hope mm -hmm. than that. Like I saw a butterfly and I felt good for a second. Like, okay. Right. But the yeah. sustaining hope of, of resurrection. Yeah. And it's not to say, I mean, those butterfly moments are excellent. You know, I mean, as I'm thinking back to summer and those beautiful days, you know, we'd go to the local arboretum and it's like, yes, everything is a delight and look at that flower and that tree. And that's a wonderful season to be in as well. Don't get me wrong. But um, yeah, I think, you know, Darkness, unless you live in California, darkness and the dark seasons do eventually come. But, um, you know, dark times always come. So I think mm. maybe that's just 50 plus years of, of living. So, And that's one of the things I do appreciate about your writing is I think many, many Christian authors, many churches, many streams of Christianity push so hard into the happy, happy, happy. And that's not the truth of our full experience. And it's not the truth of scripture. You know, I find it so funny. And and I believe we have one in, in our church nursery as well. But the the popular mural is you paint Noah's Ark on the wall. And it's like, oh, yeah. so happy animals two by two. And you're like, okay, well, like the full story is, and then everyone drowned and then Noah got drunk. And then, right, like we don't, we just major in the yay, Goliath is dead and and yay. Right. Um, but to get that fuller picture and you are this this author who has this deep faith, but doesn't shy away from the, like, we need to talk about the hard bits too. And I'm going to write this story about saying goodbye to my dog and how painful that was. And that's part of my hope. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because even now thinking back to that living room scene, like with our dog, like I now look back on that and I'm like, oh, like it feels like a, a happy memory. And that seems like mm. a sick thing to say because it still is sad and I still miss her in so many ways. But um, because it was just such a beautiful, powerful moment. And I know that people, you know, have said that too about being it. And again, I'm not talking about the most tragic of circumstances, you know, and this was an old dog who all these things, whatever. But people who've talked about being um, at, you know, bedsides of loved ones who were dying and kind of had that same feeling that, you know, once you get through that deep, deep grief and it can take so long, but where you can f look back and say like, oh, wow. It's like you can, you know, that there's that spiritual exercise or practice, you know, where you look back on a terrible situation and imagine where God was with you in that moment, you know, maybe where you couldn't see or you kind of picture Jesus sort of sitting there. And I think that's what starts to happen is that you just sense 
the Holy Spirit's presence and those memories. And so it becomes, um, yeah, like almost like a positive thing. But, you know, as far as writing about the difficult things, um, it just, I, yeah. So I guess my point, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that in a way, like, I don't even look at it as like, oh, it's such a downer. And maybe to people it is. I'm not always the most, I, I'm not super sensitive. So not everything makes me like super sad. But so maybe there are people who are like, oh my word, this woman needs to stop or the, you know, crows and the snakes and <laughs> the dead dogs. But I literally look at these things as like, you know, this, this is the good news, you know, of a, of a difficult, not, not that my life has been so difficult, but general of difficult lives in general, you know, that this is the good news that, that darkness can turn to joy and, um, yeah, all of that. I mean, I think for folks, especially folks in younger generations, they're looking for a church and they're looking for a God that speaks to those things. Mm -hmm. You know, your book was absolutely not a downer in any way. I oh, so good. appreciate <laughs> it that, that there was this fullness of human experience because you, it's like, you know, it's like the scary movie. It takes you there, but it doesn't leave you there. Mm -hmm. And that's it because we've all been scared. So what is the way through? And you describing your way through helps us shine a light and find our own way through. So not a downer in any way. I love yeah, oh, good. One. Okay, good. Yeah. And I and I love hearing you say that, that finding our own way. So for me, like animals are really helpful, but you know, I know people who, you know, love, love, love movies. And so for them, you know, it's then sort of book of like, well, how are they finding this? How are they or or literature buffs, you know, whatever it is, you know, the ways that we are equipped and made and, you know, to to figure out our way um through life and toward God and understanding all this. Mm. And that's a good reminder too, because I love birds especially, and I love animals, and I loved this book, but you don't need to be an animal person or a bird person to appreciate this book. It takes you on a journey that says, what do you love and how can that help you yeah. in your own journey? Mm -hmm. And that can be baking, that can be, you know, field oh, hockey, oh. whatever it is. Baking would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and field hockey as well, of course, but yeah. Well, Karen, I, I'm going to know the category of your answer to this question, okay. but I don't know the specifics yet. What is your favorite bird? Oh, gosh. If you say songbird, we're going to have to go back and then we're going to have to go the podcast. entire thing. If I was like, I just love a parrot. No. Um, oh, I'm. it's funny, though, because I am reading a mystery right now where it seems like a parrot is integral in the, the story. Um, oh, I'm going to have to go with crow. I'm going to have mm. to go with crows because I think, um, yeah, they're just, yeah, I'm going to have to go with crows. And that's tough because I do, I do love these, um, these falcons. I just saw one this morning too, but I'm going to go with crow. I respect it. Okay. Which is you a weird. You get to see your favorite bird every day then, basically. Now I do. I know yeah. now they're back, but yeah. And, um, yeah. Although, you know, I do like, I don't know, in California, do you have like a first cardinal of the spring kind of sighting, even though they're around all winter too, but that's always. No, we don't get that like pop of, oh, know. summer's coming. We got and stuff all the time. Different stuff, you know, different we get stuff, migrations yeah. and things, but. Right. Yeah. The hummingbirds yeah. stay year round. We're spoiled. We're terribly spoiled. Okay. Yeah. I just had seen one the other day too, but yeah, I know. Well, you know, our geese stay year round here too now, which is fascinating. <laughs> I yeah. I went to I went to school. I went to Wheaton College. So oh, I went to yeah. school around around there where you yeah, live. You and I remember close. once pulling up to the Burger King drive through and rolling down my window and there was a Canada goose right there, like stuck its beak in my window. And I just rolled up the window and drove away. I was like, I don't actually need those fries. I'm about You're to like, be murdered in my own car. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. a goose from a distance. 
they can be kind of alarming. There's a park near me where they kind of hang out by this pond and they will, I, I, I always say like, I, I don't love wild animals who are not all afraid of me because it's like, then they're going to come up and they've got those little chompy beaks, but yeah, they stay year round, which is, that didn't happen when I was a kid. So there's all sorts of weirdness that, you know, but yeah. it's changing, but yeah. It is a different, it is a different age than it was it even 10, 10, 15 for years sure. ago. For sure. Well, Karen, where can we find your books? Where can we find you? Where can our listeners connect with you out there in the big, wonderful world of and social media? Big, wonderful world. I'm pretty much everywhere. The books um, available anywhere books are sold. Um, your favorite online retailer, distributor, if it's not in your local bookstore, which, you know, bookstores can't carry. There are so many books that are published that can't carry all of them, but they certainly can request it. Um, so go ahead and ask your favorite local um, bookseller about that. And I, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, threads. I'm still on Twitter. Um, any, Whatever it's called. What I, oh, X. Sorry. <laughs> I it's Twitter forever. They can't it's make Twitter. us change. It's like the Sears Tower here in Chicago. I will never <laughs> not call it anything else. But totally. um, yeah, and my website is my name, which is Karen Riveton. I won't even spell that. Just but yeah. We um, will link to it. We will link, link to, to it because it's just difficult in the yeah. show notes. Yeah. Um, but do connect with Karen. She is a wonderful, winsome presence out there in the world. She'll bring spooky things into your feed appropriately True. as seasonality requires of it. Yes. Karen, thank you so much for the gift of your time and your beautiful, beautiful book brought to you by Broadleaf, who I think Broadleaf makes some of the most beautiful book covers out there. They really they do. It's they a gorgeous a cover. Pleasure to work with. Yeah. So go pick up Saints of Feather and Fang and connect with Karen out there in the wide world. And if you're in Chicago, go walk the prairie path and eventually you will find her. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Indeed. All right. Thanks for having me on. The Thing with Feathers is produced by me, Courtney Ellis. Many thanks to Del Belcher for the music to Todd Peterson for the name inspiration, and to Emily Dickinson for the beautiful poem and for being in the public domain. Until next time, my friends, keep looking up. What is going to your soul? Yes, it does.